all right what's going on everybody welcome back to the show i haven't talked to you in a couple weeks i know we got a lot to get to i have been inconsistent i'll you know we gotta i'm not gonna act like everything's all normal necessarily i know i've been inconsistent we're not gonna spend much time on it that's on me i haven't managed my time well my weeks have been busier than i expected that being said there's a ton to talk about today because MMA has been crazy in the last week, the last couple weeks. We've got a really solid, really, really good three-week stretch of, of MMA in front of us. And then, you know, there's like a month break from the UFC, which is always tough. You know, PFL's done for the time being now. They will talk about their championship card they just had last week. Obviously, Bellator has their uh, New Year's Eve card which I'll talk about at some point. I'm not going to talk about that this episode, but I'll get to it at some point. But that's the long short of it. There's a lot going on, and we got to get into it, or else this episode's going to be three hours long, which is probably fine, honestly. But we should probably kick it off with the biggest news of the week, of the last several days, I should say. That is, of course, Yuri Prohaska out of his rematch with Glover Teixeira, planned for UFC 282 on December 10th. I wish I could breathe normally. My my breath is so heavy because of my deviated septum that I f- have to. I go back and edit out all of these like breathing noises, but and then I, and then I try to stop, but then I'm just holding my breath, and that doesn't work either. So I don't know. We're gonna see how this goes, but it, it is the most irritating thing about this whole process to me. That is so besides the point. I forget what night it was. But I'm on Twitter. I think I caught it within the first like six minutes it was tweeted. Kevin Ioli of Yahoo Sports tweeted that Yuri Prohaska suffered, at the time what was just called a serious injury. He was out of the fight. He vacated the belt. And that the new title fight was going to be Jan versus Jan Blahovich versus Magomed Ankalaev for the vacant light heavyweight belt. That's basically all the tweets said. Versus the situation that we had all come to understand beforehand left so many unanswered questions we went from yeary versus glover to for you know in in yeary's first title defense since beating glover for the belt back in june and then all of a sudden it's jan versus magomed for the vacant belt because yeary got injured so he vacated but now glover's not involved there were so many unanswered questions it was one of the more confusing hours of, you know, recent MMA. Well, let's just be honest. This lad, th- like this fall, this fall stretch of MMA, like September through now, probably through the end of the year, something else will probably happen, has been so weird. Maybe on like a year-end episode, I'll try to get get to all that. But the situation begins to unfold. We get more information, more information slowly. Now it seems like we have a pretty good portrait of what's going on. Yiri Prohaska suffered a pretty gruesome shoulder injury. Dana called it the worst shoulder injury that the UFC doctors have ever seen. You know, I don't know how much truth there is to that. That must be pretty bad. Projected like upwards to a year recovery time, which makes me think it was probably like it was, I'm not a doctor, but you know, your labrum is a pretty bad one. Your rotator cuff is a pretty bad one. Um, maybe a combination, who knows. That's the first step. Yuri is out, bad shoulder injury. Now, the other side of that fight was supposed to be Glover Teixeira. UFC calls Glover, they ask Glover if he wants to fight Magomed Ankalaev for the belt in December. He says, not enough time, different opponent, I'm 42 years old, I, I'll let, just let me fight Jan. UFC says no, has to be Ankalaev, which a lot of people are making a big deal out of. A lot of people, I'll just you, you, you know the situation by now. Glover wanted Jan in December. They said it has to be has to be Magomed. He said, okay, I'll fight Magomed in January in Rio. Just give me the, those extra three weeks to prepare. UFC said no, has to be December tenth. Glover said, well, then no. So they go with Jan Magomed. One of the biggest things out of this, well, one, you know, Glover being the man left out is obviously super strange considering his age, the situation he's in, and the run that he's been on. 
But that being said, one of the biggest things everybody kind of is bringing up and is kind of irritated with is why didn't they just do Glover versus Jan because that's a bigger fight than Glover versus Ankalaev. Now, that is probably true. Not probably, that is totally true. I, I don't know if I know a hardcore Magomed Ankalaev fan. I understand why the UFC wanted Magomed in this fight because I think they think that Magomed brings a level of stability. They probably look at Magomed Ankalaev and they say, this guy might be the best light heavyweight in the world. You know, he might beat everybody. If we can just get him to become the champion, if he can just be the champion, we can have stability. We don't have to do this thing where like, because imagine if it's Jan versus Glover or Glover versus Jan for the vacant belt and Jan beats Glover. Now you got to do a trilogy. You have to do a Jan versus a, a Jan versus Glover trilogy fight. And then the winner of that's probably fighting Yuri because we're looking at, you know, six, eight months down the road if we're talking about two fights. So, and now you have a guy like Magomed Akalaev who is ranked fourth, I think, and he just beat Anthony Smith, who is on a really good run. Who are you going to put Magomed Akalaev with if, 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 if it was Jan Glover and Jan won and you have to do a trilogy between Glover and Jan now because you would, you pretty much would have to, I would think then what do you do with Magomed Ankalaev? What are you supposed to do there? Like, he is objectively title challenge worthy. You're just going to have him fight number one contender fights every, every you know, four, six months until he finally is able to get a shot, probably after Yuri comes back. No. Jan was champ. Jan lost to Glover. Jan had that fight with Rakic. In reality, I think Jan versus Magomed is probably the best option for the UFC because I think they're hoping that Magomed Ankalaev wins this fight. I think that because I would assume the UFC just is desperate for some relative stability in this weight class. At least I know as a fan, I kind of am because I I probably didn't talk about it. A single thing in that that I actually wanted to say. Except I understand why the UFC wanted Ankalaev in the fight. I hope Yuri recovers well. Obviously, I think he was on his way to being a huge star. He already was a pretty big star, and I think his fan base only would have grown. And it probably only will continue to grow. I hope Glover gets the winner of this next fight, even if it's Jan. I really, I I get that's a bigger fight, but I totally understand why the UFC was like, why would we make that fight again? What what incentivizes them to make that fight again? It's a bigger pay-per-view draw, I guess. But what, you have a pay-per-view headlined by Jan and Magomed Ankalaev versus a pay-per-view headlined by Jan and Glover Teixeira. The Glover Teixeira fight will probably sell more, but is it going to sell that much more? Are the, uh, the hardcore fans are going to care either way. You know, we feel bad that Glover is left out of it, but I think we all also understand why he didn't take the fight. Without Yuri on the card, this pay-per-view is not going to do crazy numbers anyway. So the UFC was probably like, let's get Uncle Live in this fight. He deserves it. It's new blood. That's the long and short of it, I think. It's new blood. Now I'm actually moving on. So that's it. You know, my rambling, incoherent take on the Yuri versus Jan, or the Yuri, the Yuri vacating, Glover out, Jan versus Magomed light heavyweight title fight. I'm going to hopefully make that make some level of sense when I re-listen to this. But now we have to move on to... The biggest MMA event of Thanksgiving weekend, the PFL World Championships. I'm sure you all paid the $50 pay-per-view price because, let's be honest, nobody was mad about that. It was totally worth it for $50. It made so much sense. I'm sure they killed it on the pay-per-view. I actually would be really curious to see what they did on pay-per-view. My guess is it's under 50,000 buys. Like, what was the incentive of anybody buying that pay-per-view? Okay, let's talk about the fights. What happened? Prelims were good, honestly. Uh, Dakota DeCheva is a beast. She is really good. Uh, Biagio Ali Walsh got the job done in his first MMA fight. Oh, the Marlon Marais one made me super sad. He was winning that fight. Oh, he was doing it. He was doing such a good job. And then he gets clipped by that right hand of Shaman Marais. And, uh... Drops his seventh fight in a row, I think. S no. Well, he dropped his fifth fight in a row by knockout, which is tough. 
one thing I think we can all be grateful for is that uh, that fight was not against Shane Burgos. As much as we would have loved to see Shane Burgos fight last week, that would not have been pretty. It was good that Magomed Magomed Karimov was on the card because he kind of got screwed out of being in the final with the whole, um, if you remember back in the summer when they moved their playoff card to the UK, uh, some of the Russian fighters were not able to get visas to go fight in, Ru- and to go fight in the UK. And so they were just simply pulled out of their playoff fights and it was kind of, you know, tough luck. But I'm, so I'm glad uh, Magomed Karimov was on the card. He beat Glayson Tebow. I'm sure he got a good payday out of that. Natan Schulte beat up Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens should retire, and he should stop saying stupid shit. Like, he has, like, serial killer-like instincts. No, you don't. You're 36. You beat Miles Price this season. That's his only win since 2018. Granted, he fought a lot of really good... Actually, looking back on this, he fought mostly killers... So I'm going to retract a bit of my um, animus towards him. Because actually, even going back to 2014, 2012, good lord, 2011. I'm going to give him all the way back to 2011. Okay, I'm actually completely reversing my statement. Not completely, I'm going to get back to it. His losses since 2011, Anthony Pettis, Donald Cerrone, Eves Edwards, Cub Swanson, Charles Oliveira, Max Holloway, Frankie Edgar, Hinato Moicano, Jose Aldo, Zabit Magomed Sharipov, Yair Rodriguez, Calvin Cater, Mateusz Gamrat, Clay Collard, Natan Schult. Those are pretty solid losses, not gonna lie. Pretty much top to bottom. I mean, if you, when you can make an argument that the worst loss you have in the last 11 years is Hinato Moicano, you're in a pretty good spot. You could probably also make the law, the, the case that it's uh, Clay Collard, but also that's not that bad. Jeez, man. Either way, okay. Back to the point. Man, the man has a 15-18 and 18 UFC record and 1-2 and two in the PFL. That's tough. Okay, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Jeremy Stevens consistently is just saying stupid shit and then getting beat, which I don't get how you can do that, get beat, and then come back and do it again. There has to be a disconnect there. Like, I don't get that. Either way, hopefully he just retires. Like, it's not even like a, like a, like a Marlon Mariah's thing where it's like, I hope he retires because this is just sad. He's not, like, getting viciously KO'd all the time. He's doing fine. They're relatively competitive. He's just losing. He beat Miles Price in, you know, this year in June. I mean, he's mostly getting submitted, honestly. He got, he got knocked out by Calvin Cater, which is no, you know, no real shame in that. He got, you know, the Jose Aldo body punch TKO. But other than that, he's mostly, I mean, he got submitted by Gamrod, got submitted by Schultz, like, I don't know, I guess he can keep fighting and losing if he wants to, but stop saying you're going to murder people and then go out and get beat up and then hug the guy afterwards. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I'll move on now. To the actual championship fights, the main card, the $50 main card, I can't get over that. Rob Wilkinson, most prominently known in all honesty by the mainstream fans, is probably the guy that Israel Adesanya fought in his first ever UFC fight. Wilkinson got finished. And not too long after that, he was caught by the UFC. Right after that, he was caught by the UFC, which is ridiculous. In my like, come on. Doesn't matter. He goes back to Australia, you know, fights in, you know, goes, has like four or five fights, regional kickboxing, boxing, and MMA. Gets signed by the PFL. This was his first season in the PFL. Wins four fights in a row, wins the million dollars. Wins the wins the PFL championship, gets a million dollar check, and now he can call himself a world champion. Like, come on, dude. Light heavyweight, too? He looked great. He beat the brakes off of Omar Akhmedov, who also looked really good this season. I mean, yeah, Wilkinson looked really good all season. It's not like you're fighting the biggest names, but, like, I mean, Omar Akhmedov, UFC veteran, wasn't in the UFC too long ago. Had a lot of good wins, and yeah, Wilkinson beat him up bad. And this is kind of, the, you know, the the example, a lot of people throw this out there, but if you're a middle-of-the-road UFC guy who's making 25 and 25, and you're fighting two, three times a year, why would you not go to the PFL where you could be, where, well, first of all, you, are, you guarantee you're going to get two fights in a year, and if you win both of those, you almost guarantee you're going to get the third fight. 
And that's the guaranteed fights aren't even necessarily the point. Your purse is probably going to get bigger. If you have any level of a name, your purse is going to be bigger. I guarantee Rob Wilkinson's purse is pretty solid. You know, in, in those two fights in the UFC, he probably made 12 and 12 or 10 and 10 or whatever. Now in the PFL, he's probably, his purse is probably like that of a ranked guy in the UFC. And he just got a million dollar check on top of that for beating four guys, or for beating three guys whose name nobody knows, and then Omar, Omar Akhmedov. That's a pretty good deal. And that was, a great, that was a great start to the main card. I mean, he looked really, really good. Also, for Rob Wilkinson, his UFC losses are his only two losses on his record. So do with that information what you will. The dude looked great. Very happy for him. Next fight was the welterweight championship fight. Sadabu Sai versus Delano Taylor. In my opinion, the biggest dud of the card. No hit on either of them. I mean, Sadabu Sai just controlled kind of the entire thing. Start to finish. I think uh, Delano Taylor won one round. Taylor just wasn't able to really get much going. Sadabu Sai used his length really well. And objectively, it was just a pretty boring fight. There's nothing wrong with that. The PFL is just lucky that it wasn't five fights that looked like that, or else this would have been a major disaster. One of the biggest, I guess you could say, could say shocks just in how it ended, and like one of the biggest crowd moments, I would say, in the entire the entire card was uh, Olivier Alban Mercier, OAM, knocks out Stevie Ray in the second round. And why? when I say shocking, I mean, I, I believe the, the over-under on this fight was set at four and a half, and the over was the favorite. The over was like minus money. There was no indication that this fight was gonna go the di- was was not gonna go the distance. OAM, as incredibly skilled a fighter as he is, hasn't finished a fight since 2018. He finished Devin Dunham, but that was a, more of that was a TKO. It was knees and finished him on the ground. And before that, it was submissions. This was a clean KO of Stevie Ray. Clean. With just like a check right hook, right on the chin, Stevie Ray goes out, OAM wins the million dollars, wins the PFL championship, I should say. That was really cool because you could see you could see how much it meant to him afterwards. He was super emotional, he was super pumped up. Really awesome moment for OAM, and yeah, tough for Stevie Ray. I like Stevie Ray, he seems like a good guy, and I like watching him fight. Uh, interesting part is neither, the, they, they, they didn't get in them any really grappling situations. Actually, Stevie Ray had OAM's back for most of that round. So I'm a kind of a liar. Um, but to get back up to their feet in the last minute, OAM hits him with that right hook. Game over. OAM wins the, the PFL lightweight championship. Super, super impressive performance. Awesome moment for OAM. And there's really, you know, it's all it, it all kind of sets the table for the next season, which is super cool, I think, still. I like the season format. Also, perhaps setting the table for the next season was the PFL debut of Aspen Ladd, which was the next fight on the main card. Kind of, you know, this was just a three-round, like, uh, you know, showcase bout, as you would call it, uh, versus Julia Budd. Julia Budd, legit veteran in women's MMA. Really close fight. I saw there, there were some people that were complaining about this fight. I thought it was honestly really kind of entertaining. I didn't think it was that bad. And Aspen Ladd wins by split decision. It really came down to the second round. Aspen Ladd, I thought, did a really good job in the first round. Second round was really close. Julia Budd won the third. I thought it was a good fight. I'm interested to see how... Um, I, I believe next season, the PFL is doing a 145-pound division rather than a 155-pound division for the women, which will be way better because that's a, more of a real weight class. And I'll be interested to see how that all goes. I thought Aspen Ladd looked pretty good. And it's good to see her at a weight class she can actually make and compete at. So yeah, that's about all I have to say on it. But it was I thought it was a good fight. I thought Aspen Ladd won the fight. I thought the the judges got the decision right. And yeah. We move on to the heavyweights. Ante Delizia makes go goes two for two on first round knockouts of Mateus Scheffel. Uh yeah, it didn't really look overly competitive. Uh Delizia pretty much just did the same thing he did the first time. He rocked him, swarmed him. Sheffield fell to the ground. Delizia finished him. That was actually a super cool crowd moment. Delizia, hailing from Croatia, uh, student of the great Mirko Krokop. And uh, there seemed to be a pretty big Croatian contingent here at the PFL uh, World Championships. So that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, Delizia, I believe, was the heavyweight runner-up last year. Gets the job done this year. Cool moment for him. It was cool to see six. um, It was cool to see 
six like championship moments on this card because you know I think well I mean the main event went to a decision but the only kind of underwhelming one was uh the side was the side Busai versus Delano Taylor fight that's just because it was a very it was a boring fight just that's a long short it was a boring fight whatever Wilkinson had an awesome moment when he stopped Akhmedov OAM had an awesome moment Delisia had an awesome moment the next fight on the list featherweight co-main event Brennan Lochnane versus Bubba Jenkins this was just an awesome fight this was it, it was pretty established this was going to be the best fight on the on the card that might not have even ended up being true we'll get to that in a minute but it was a great fight Bubba Jenkins first of all let me preface this. I was I'm a I'm a Bubba Jenkins fan. He was a wrestler. He was one of my favorite wrestlers to watch back in the day. He has one of my favorite matches ever. Look up Bubba Jenkins versus David Taylor. NCAA Finals. Awesome match. Bubba Jenkins locks up a cradle, roll through cradle, sticks David Taylor. And Bubba Jenkins has been fighting MMA for a while. He was in Bellator for a long time. Comes to the PFL. I believe this was maybe his first season. No, no, no. This was his second season. Uh, the, the season before that, he got bounced in the semis. Now he makes the final versus Brendan Lochnane. And Bubba Jenkins, I thought, looked really, really good. Like, as good, as well-rounded as, as we've seen Bubba Jenkins. He, his striking was on point. He wasn't able to get takedowns, which ended up being kind of a key. All of that to say, Bubba Jenkins looked great. And Brendan Lochnane beat him anyways. Brendan Lochnane looked fantastic. He kicked the shit out of Bubba Jenkins' lead leg. I want to say Jenkins was standing southpaw. Yeah, so his right leg was forward. And Lochnane just beat that front leg, that front calf up horribly. I mean, Bubba's movement was compromised like almost by the end of the first round. By the second round, you could tell it was not going well. And the first round was real close, real competitive. Bubba almost had a takedown. Didn't get it, but on the feed it was really competitive. I saw people scoring it both ways. I probably would have scored it for Bubba Jenkins, but I'm admittedly probably biased. The second round on, I thought Lochnane really was taking control of the fight. The leg kicks were really doing a lot of damage, and he just was landing a lot. Just a little, a little bit more consistently. Just a little bit more consistently. And and Bubba actually did a lot of damage to Lochnane's face. He cut Lochnane right, I want to say... Maybe it was right under the cheek or like right across the nose. I think it was right across the nose. And Lochnane was leaking bad. But then Lochnane almost had Bubba's right eye totally shut. I mean, it was his left eye totally shut by the end of the fight. And about the middle of the fourth round, Lochnane landed a straight right hand that I thought looked like it might have broke Bubba Jenkins' nose. The way he fell, like the way he reacted to it was kind of similar to... Uh, um, the way Rory McDonald reacted when uh, Robbie Lawler finished him in their second fight. It really looked like he absorbed that whole shot. Like he reacted really intensely to the shot and then he kind of slipped backwards. He like tried to land, he tried to step his right foot back and he kind of slipped and then it just looked bad. He ended up getting finished, but it was an awesome fight. Jenkins never stopped coming. Jenkins was working, coming at him the entire time until he got... Well, that's probably why he got finished. I mean, he did not play it safe for a second in this fight. And he that's why, you know, Lockton had to go through a lot to get this finish and really to get the win. But those leg kicks and just the consistent, consistent action by Lockton really was really impressive. I would watch that fight a million times. And I think Lockton's probably... I mean, he's a top 15 featherweight at worst... I think you could you could make it against that Bubba Jenkins is close to a top fifteen featherweight. There's a lot of if if both these guys stay at stay at featherweight, and then if Shane Burgos comes to featherweight next year, whew, that's a good weight class, man. That's a really really good weight class for the PFL. Yeah, and Lockney had an awesome moment afterwards. Had, he had a great post fight interview. There was a lot of jawing in this fight. Lockney was yelling at Bubba Jenkins a lot, and it was I was like kind of shocked because he that it was just it was a little bit jarring. I was like, whoa. And then afterwards, he was just yelling about how much he loved Bubba Jenkins. Like, he, like they went to war, and I, they looked like Brendan Lochnane just loved it. Like, he was just eating it up. But it was really cool. Super cool to watch. Great fight. Interested to see where both guys go from here. Obviously, I mean, there's no reason for either of them to leave the PFL. I'm sure they're both making great money. Obviously, Brendan just got paid that million dollars. Yeah, I don't Yeah, awesome fight. That's all, that's all there really is to say. It was a great fight. 
If things would have gone as expected, that would have been easily the best fight of the night. But then the main event happens. Larissa Pacheco taking on Kayla Harrison for the third time. Kayla Harrison, obviously one of the most untouchable women in mixed martial arts. Coming into this fight 15-0, never looked in real danger even remotely. She beat Pacheco by decision twice before. They've, you know, eight rounds in the cage. Pacheco would never barely won a minute. And through the first round of this fight, it looked like it might be more of the same. Kayla pretty much took her, you know, they, they traded on the feet a little bit. Kayla took her down, controlled her, grounded pound, the whole nine, through the first round. I think the live odds after the first round was like Kayla minus 1,400 or so, Pacheco plus 900, something like that. Then in the second round, it starts to change a little bit. Pacheco is landing a lot on the feet, she and she's pressuring, landing a lot on the feet, which I think took Kayla back a little bit. I don't think she expected Pacheco to come out so aggressive. Kayla takes her down. Pacheco locks up a legitimately tight triangle right away. It's like really, really, I mean, what are you supposed to say about that? She locks up a triangle right away, and it was tight, and it was in. Kayla did a good job of posturing up and just staying out of danger until she could, you know, work out of the triangle. But Pacheco put her in danger, and then while on her back, Pacheco was doing a really good job of throwing strikes. She threw way more strikes off of Kayla's takedowns than Kayla was doing the ground and pounding. When Pacheco was on her back, she was constantly landing strikes that looked like they were bothering Kayla. Either way, the second round, Pacheco comes out and pretty clearly wins the second round of the fight. And that was almost shocking enough. And Twitter was basically like, wow, we just saw Kayla Harrison lose her first round. And then the third round, very close round. Kayla, I want to say it was the third round. Kayla landed a really, really hard right hand and then got a takedown and did a really good job of doing her thing. I don't need to break down this whole fight. Pacheco just has that dog in her, and Pacheco came into this fight, I think, ready ready to force Kayla to beat her over five rounds, and I'm not sure Kayla was planning on having, was, I don't know if Kayla was planning on having to beat her every single minute for 25 minutes, and Pacheco was like, she didn't, Pacheco did not take a single minute off in this fight, she came in in super good shape, super good shape. Not that Kayla wasn't. Kayla Harrison's always in good shape. And Pacheco found a way to beat her. And at the end of that fight, I don't I don't know if you can make the case that Kayla like Larissa Pacheco was beating Kayla Harrison in positions that Kayla Harrison should should not have been losing. Like getting reversed on bottom or like Pacheco reversing Kayla from the bottom position. That was surprising to me. Incredibly surprising. Pacheco being able to get up consistently. Not something that usually happens to Kayla Harrison. And I also think that Pacheco came in with a great game plan, in great shape, and a pretty, I mean, a very much improved fighter. And man, I mean, the fourth the fourth round was relatively close, but I thought Pacheco won it pretty clearly. And then the fifth round, Pacheco kind of dominated. Like, she really came on at the end of that fight, and she did such a good job. I was so impressed. And I was so worried that the judges were going to give that to Kayla Harrison because a couple of those rounds were close. Like, the third round, I wasn't sure how to how to um, score that round. Be- or no, the second round, I was... No, it was a third. Because I th- want to say Pacheco had Kayla in kind of in some danger again. But, you know, Kayla was on top the whole round. So it, it was weird. But the right, the right person's hand got raised. 48-47 Pacheco. Pretty easy to call, I think. It was a, it was such an awesome fight. I'm going to rewatch it because I feel like I don't remember it as well as I should. It was an awesome, awesome, awesome fight. And I'm excited. You know, it, I think that was good for the PFL because now you can now you can schedule a fourth fight, which will be a big fight. You know, they want to do that super fight division. I think that's a perfect, perfect, you know, first super fight card main event. Dupacheco, Harrison, four. And this time it's even bigger. And you have, like, you know, Aspen Ladd versus Larissa Pacheco. That's an interesting fight because Pacheco looked really good. Kayla Harrison versus Aspen Ladd, maybe. Who knows? I don't know. You've got options. Kayla only has, I think, two fights left, supposedly. And then I would not be surprised if she goes somewhere else. Um, but, yeah, super super fun card to watch. The PFL runs a great show, I think. Their TV 
Um, their TV broadcast definitely not as good as the UFC's. Um, that's obviously a hard comparison to make. The UFC is so good at their broadcasts, but um, I think it's right on point with uh, Bellator's. I think the PFL does a great job. Their commentary. This is something I've noticed with Bellator's commentary too, though. It seems like the commentary always seems like they they're trying to convince you of something, like they're like they're salesmen, which it always just kind of feels like they're trying to sell you something that you know is only a little bit, that you know might only be like half of what they're trying to tell you. I don't know. The whole thing with like I loved how the PFL did the richest night in combat sports or the richest night in MMA or whatever. That's a great way to sell it because that's probably true. You know, there's probably not an, another organization out there giving away $6 million checks in a night. But when they would call it, like, the biggest night in combat sports, it's like, well, no, it's not. So, whatever. Or, like, when Bellator tried to tell us that Gegard Mousasi was the best middleweight in the world, and then he lost to Johnny Eblen. I'm going to be the last person to slander Johnny Eblen. Johnny Eblen is a beast. I love watching him fight. He did an awesome job against Gegard Mousasi that night. But Johnny Eblen's not the number one pound-for-pound middleweight in the world. And he 50-45 Gegard, who they were just saying was the best middleweight in the world. You have a tough time making a, point, making a case. And, like, just be honest about it. This is more of a gripe with Bellator. I thought PFL did a great job. I'm going to move on now. We did get a bit of a Conor McGregor update this week, maybe last week. He tweeted that he was clear for testing in February. Now... What does that mean? Hard to say. Not hard to say. It would seem that I am clear for testing in February, and I will complete my two tests per USADA, and we are booking a fight. Now, is that true? I don't know. He goes on to say the reason that he has not been in the USADA testing pool in almost a year, I want to say. It's been a while. I, I, the first time I think people started checking on it was I saw people checking in like in August or maybe July. I think Jedi Goodman would would go check the USADA testing pool. You can search names and, you know, Connor wasn't in there. But he obviously hadn't been in there for quite a while. Essentially, Connor comes out and says everything, him leaving the testing pool was disclosed before he left. We come, he later on says... He begins to clarify later on on Twitter. Everything was, he says, everything was fully disclosed. The state of the state of allowance for athletes to recover from injuries as horrific as the one I overcame must be assessed. To me, essentially, that means to fully over to fully recover from this very bad injury. I wanted to be to take full to take f- full advantage of what the doctors were going to be able to give me and fully recover. Before I come back. I mean I'm not going to lie. That's a relatively compelling point. Like if. You have an injury like that. Or the one Weidman. Or the one Silva. You you know the leg break like that. Or a big. Even like a you know. Guys have broken their arms. In the cage. I think that's a. That'd be a fair. That's a fair point. For USADA to allow them to leave the testing pool. So they can fully recover. Come back. And then be tested again. To my understanding, the issue with that is there's nothing in USADA's bylaws that say that and allow for that to happen. I believe the only way you're taken out of the USADA testing pool is if you retire or if the UFC cuts you maybe. But Conor McGregor didn't retire because he's still ranked. He's been ranked this entire time. So he wasn't retired, but he also wasn't in the testing pool. So it's a complex complex situation. Also, Connor says that he's going to be able to come back. He's going to complete two tests and then schedule a fight. ESPN, I believe, reached out to USADA for a quote on that, and they said that in all likelihood, Connor would have to complete the six months in the testing pool unless there was an exemption given, which they did not think would happen. So I'm not sure how it'll work. And obviously... The funny thing is that the UFC could give Connor an exemption if they want to. It's kind of up to the UFC and not USADA, but it's relatively unclear what's going to happen. I think there's a, a case to be made that what Connor is doing and what Connor has supposedly been enacting is a is is something that the fighters could consider and probably something that could be collectively bargained if they had a union or something like that. 
The problem is that also Connor looks to have gained about 10 to 15 pounds of lean muscle since being outside the USADA testing pool, which brings up some other issues, perhaps. And by perhaps, I mean definitely. I mean, he looks huge. And I watched um, Derek from uh, More Plates, More Dates posted on YouTube. He did a, you know, a quick like you know, 12, 15-minute video on Connor and basically saying, if these pictures are real and not Photoshopped, which he was also like, I'm not leaving Photoshop out of the realm of possibilities. We're going to have to kind of see him in video, in person, before we really know. Um, there's really no chance, there's really no chance that he could do this naturally. That Like, from where he started, already lean and pretty muscular, you're not going to be putting on that level of muscle that quickly, which makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I don't know if you can tell, I'm not free-balling a little more today. I don't have a big page of notes. I wrote down several bullet points and I just wanted to talk I this might be so much worse than uh, my other ones I don't care anymore we're gonna do well this is gonna get posted I know it is I don't care but yeah uh, I think Connor still says like April he wants to come back that seems unlikely um, I would really love it it would I mean I think I've said it before the MMA is better when Connor McGregor is consistently fighting that's not an original take a lot of people have said that before me but it is. He brings an energy to it. It's, I mean, anybody that watched his rise through 2014 to 2016, whatever, it was incredible. It was magical. Like, it, there was nothing really like it. I think we'd all like to see him back healthy and, um, you know, fighting at a relatively high level. There's some huge fights out there for him, even if he never gets close to a belt again. Um, but I don't think he's getting back down to 55. He's probably a full 70-pounder now. Um... That's if he's able to pass drug tests. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I'm interested in how it all plays out. Very interested in how it all plays out. Especially with this USADA thing. You know, if he says he's clear for testing in February, and USADA says, well, you got to be in it for six months, we're not going to see Connor till August. March, April, May, June, July. Yeah, August. We wouldn't see him till August at the soonest. So, honestly, I hope Connor's right. I hope... I, I don't even care. Give him an exemption. Who cares? Give him an exemption. Have him fight George. Who cares? George Masvidal, I mean. Or Chandler. Have Chandler go up to 70. Chandler looks like he's on roids, too. I don't think he is. I think it's just how Chandler's body looks. That's not how Connor's body looks, naturally. Chandler, I believe, he's not on anything. Connor, not so much. Either way, it's going to be a fun saga to, um, to follow through the next several months. Okay, I got to touch on Bellator 288 real quick. I know that's way... In the rearview mirror. Um, but I mentioned my last episode, which was before that, because it's been a minute, because I suck. Bellator 288, I was there as a media member. Super cool. I'm not going to go into it. I just want to mention, very cool. I got to meet a lot of cool people, shook a lot of people's hands. Um, I'm excited to get back to doing that, to, to get into doing that kind of thing more often. That's why I'm going to be way more consistent with doing this. I'm going to be more consistent writing. I have a couple interviews. Um coming up for Bellator 289, which I'm super excited about. You'll hear about those later. And yeah, 288, super cool. A lot of people I knew were there because uh, I wrestled I wrestled at the same college as Corey Anderson, who was fighting in the main event. We also had, um, from UW-Whitewater, Jordan Newman on the card. Newman got the job done. Uh, Corey Anderson, of course, loses the unanimous decision to Vadim Nemkov. So Usman Nurmagomedov win the lightweight belt. And yeah, it was a great card. Very cool experience. And now we're moving on to Bellator 289 because that is coming up next Friday. Not this Friday, next Friday. I believe it's December 9th, day before UFC 282. Big weekend, wow. But Bellator 289, the main event is one of my favorite fights of this year. I've been looking forward to it since, I don't know, the beginning of the summer? Probably earlier. Stotts versus Sabatello. Uh, semifinal of the of the Bantamweight Grand Prix, also for the Bellator inter interim Bantamweight title. I'm just super excited for the fight. The lead up has been awesome. Like their trash talk back and forth has been great. Uh, they've sold this card. They've sold this card in this fight better than any Bellator fight of recent memory, which speaks to Bellator a little bit. But I'm not going to go into that yet. Not the quality of their fights, simply their promotion, their promotional not ability. Bellator could promote their fights really well. They just Kind of don't. I don't want to get into that right now. Bellator 289. A lot of great fights on that card. Stotts versus Sabatello. 
I'm so excited for that fight. I've been excited for that fight for months. Uh, Liz Carmouche, I believe, also fights in that card for the um, women's Bellator Women's Flyweight Championship. She takes on Juliana, Juliana Velazquez. I believe this is a rematch. It is. Rematch from their fight in April. Uh, also on the card, you have the other semifinal of the Bantamweight Grand Prix, Magomed Magomedov versus Patchy Mix. And then a lot of other good fights down the card. We'll obviously get into that more next week. But Pat Downey is back. Kyle Crutchmer fights Cody Law, Dalton Rasta, Kai Kamaka. Yeah, that's a great card. Super excited for that. Will not be there because it's in Connecticut and I am poor, but that's okay. I'll still do the virtual media day. Very excited for that card. Now, this weekend, the best UFC event, the best non-UFC pay-per-view event, the best non-pay-per-view UFC event, there it is, that we've got, that we've had in a minute UFC Orlando, I believe this is going to be on ESPN, the uh, the main channel, which is always a big deal. UFC Orlando, headlined by Stephen Thompson, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, and Kevin Holland. Awesome fight. You go down the card. Awesome card. I mean, this is better than you could put a you could put a title fight on this on the top of this card and call it a pay per view, and people would be like, "Yeah, that's sick." Nobody would be mad if this was a if you threw a title fight on the top of this card and called it a pay per view. What are some of the highlights of this card? Tracy Cortez versus Amanda Hebas. That's a really good fight at flyweight. Two prospects, obviously. Cortez riding a pretty big win streak. Ten fights. Yep, hasn't lost since her pro debut. Amanda Hebas coming off a close fight against Caitlin Chukagian, where she lost. Uh, before that, beat Verena Janjaroba, which is a good win. Has a win over Mackenzie Dern. But especially for for Tracy Cortez, is a big fight. Uh, getting past somebody like Hebas, who's also really tough. Um, we'll put her closer into that contender conversation. Darren Elkins comes back this card, who's an absolute animal. You know, he's got the big tattoo over his chest that says the damage. He's a huge underdog to Jonathan Pierce, which is honestly fair. But you can never count Darren Elkins out of a fight. Michael Johnson versus Mark Diacasey, awesome fight. Because Michael Johnson fights are very rarely boring. Uh, Mark Diacasey, honestly, if uh, his last two fights are any any indication could make this fight boring because his wrestling has been on point wrestling in control time uh, i watched him in columbus and the crowd did not like him because he was taking slava claus down and beating him up and slava claus couldn't get much going but it's not diakazi's fault his his game plan recently has been really really solid i'm gonna be interested to see if that's his strategy this time i would expect it probably will be because johnson's such a dynamic striker um, be a big comeback win for Michael Johnson, though. I thought he should have won that Jamie Jamie Malarkey fight, uh, but he lost the split decision. He would have been on a two-fight win streak, but alas, this could be a big fight for Johnson. Clay Guida takes on Scott Holtzman. I be- this may be Clay Guida's retirement fight. Or maybe it's Scott Holtzman's, reti- Scott Holtzman's retirement fight. Holtzman's on a two-fight losing streak, but they're to Benil Dariush and Mateusz Gamrot, so not exactly... The worst losses of all time. Clay Guida. Uh, last fight was against Claudio Poyez. Lost by knee bar. Before that, he uh, choked out Leonardo Santos, which is crazy. I mean, it's 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 Clay Guida. You know, you know what you're getting. He's up and down. He loses to some guys. He beats other guys. Doesn't really matter. He does his thing. He's the same guy every time. And it's going to be awesome pretty much every time. And it's the it's the retirement fight for one of these guys. But also, this is exactly who each of these guys should be fighting. They're both about 40. They're both, you know, they've both been around forever. So, good. Just make it a retirement fight for both guys. Not that I want to see Clay Guida stop fighting, but, like, if Clay Guida... Clay Guida could hang him up at any point now, and I'm going to be like, thanks, man. I'm not going to be mad at it. He's earned the right to hang it up whenever he feels necessary. Granted, that might not be for another 10 years, but... Anytime Clay Guida fights, it's going to be awesome. Angela Hill takes on Emily Ducote. Big fight at strawweight. I was really happy to see Angela Hill get the big win over Lupi Godinez in her last fight. She just gets, I mean, she gets screwed out of decisions more than anybody I've seen. Anybody. I thought for sure she beat uh, Michelle Watterson uh, back in 2020. I thought that was ridiculous. It might have been the Claudia Gadea fight as well that I thought she won, and she had lost by split decision in both of those. Um, then she lost to Tisha Torres. That was pretty legit. The Amanda Lamos fight, I thought I thought Angela Hill won. She lost to Virna Jandaroba. 
that was pretty legit. Then she beat Loopy, which was a really good win. Now she fights Emily Decote. And, uh, I mean, Angela Hills is always such a tough out. And Emily Decote's really good. Four or five win streak coming off that win over Jessica Penne in July, where she looked really good. Uh, yeah. I'm a big Angela Hill fan, in all honesty. Nico Price versus Philip Rill. Don't have to talk about that one too much. Nico Price is a psychopath. He's always crazy. Eric Anders versus Kyle Dawkins. Eric Anders is a huge underdog, and I understand that I think people see him lose a lot, but I am not confident Kyle Dawkins is that good. So it's an interesting situation. I think that'll be a really good fight. I think Eric Anders is also a pretty good fighter. He is, he's on a two-fight losing streak, but it's a, Ju- a Jun Young Park and Andre Muniz. I mean, Muniz obviously is a beast. Jun Young Park is pretty good, and that was a split decision. He beat Darren Stewart, lost to Christoph Jotko. Jotko's very tough. I mean, then you're getting back to, like, 2019, 2018. Clo- he lost a close fight to Elias Theodoro, rest in peace. Khalil Roundtree beat him up. That was gnarly. Now that we're just getting, getting back too far. But Eric Anders, yeah, he, I mean, he is a tough dude. He's always really game, in really good shape, and... Kyle Dawkins is coming back from getting his face broken in three places or something by Roman Delize, one of like the worst sounding knockouts of all time. And his only UFC wins are Jamie Pickett and Dustin Stoltzfus. Jamie Pickett, I believe, might be the lowest ranked middleweight in the UFC currently. And I think Dustin Stoltzfus just got released. So he lost to Phil Hawes, had the no contest with Kevin Holland with the headbutt. And then he got his face destroyed by Delize. I'm just not confident Kyle Dawkins can actually compete at this high of a level. And it's not like Anders is a world beater, but he's always pretty game. That's just my my gut feeling on that fight. And, and Anders is a huge underdog, so I don't know. Then you have Delize in the next fight versus Jack Hermanson. That was supposed to be Hermanson versus Brunson. Uh, but we get Delize in what is actually turned into a very interesting fight. Delize, I, he just fought at UFC Paris, maybe? Or was it, like, earlier than that? The Halloween card? No, it wasn't Paris. Cater versus Allen. Yes. And he destroyed Phil Hawes in what was gross. But, interesting fight. Hermanson, obviously, top 10 guy in the world. Solid striking, really good submission skills, good wrestler. Delize, pretty similar, honestly. Good on his feet, big power. And showed a lot of good submission skills against Phil Hawes. Destroyed Hawes' knee before knocking him out. That was gross. Um, so that's going to be a really interesting fight. I mean, Delize kind of comes out like a bat out of hell. And when it's early like that and you're dry, Hermanson could catch him, perhaps. Or maybe Delize overwhelms him. I don't know. That's that, that's kind of one of those fights I don't really know what's going to happen. And it's the short notice, which could be positive and negative for both guys so yeah interested in that one honestly more interested than i was in the brunson fight because i just didn't think that really mattered very much but yeah tai tuivasa takes on sergey pavlovich pavlovich coming off that knockout of Derek lewis back in uh back in late july at 277 i think tuivasa obviously just fought in paris against cyril gan in that awesome fight hard to say how this one goes obviously tai tuivasa is always a loaded gun like you, you never know. It doesn't really doesn't really matter what you do. He might knock you out. It also could look a lot like the Derek Lewis fight, and Sergey could catch him. But also, if it's like the Derek Lewis fight, Ty could just as easily catch him. And Sergey's really good, really good striking, and he's a Adonis. But who knows? This card is so good. Wow. Up next, Mateusz Nikolaou takes on Matt Schnell. Matt Schnell coming off that fight against Sumu Derji, where. They had the round of the year. Matt Schnell looked like he was about to die several times. He fights back from the brink of hell. He is... There is a... Some demon was pulling him into the depths of hell. He kicked that demon in the face and then choked Sumodarji unconscious and got the win. Second round of that fight, round of the year, not competitive. He's a G. That was an insane fight. And then he calls out Mateusz Nikolaou, a guy who nobody wants to fight because he's also a beast. Hasn't lost since 2018. On a five-fight winning streak, he lost to Dustin Ortiz back in 2018. Since then, five-fight winning streak, beat Manel Kopp, beat Tim Elliott, beat David Dvorak. Nobody's calling him out because Mateusz Nikolaou is a stud. But Matt Schnell did because Matt Schnell is the man and Machinal tends to drag his opponents into crazy fights. He's kind of a get-or-get-got guy. That was weird, but that's going to be great. 
And I mean, you be, I mean, if Mashinal comes out on top of that fight, he could be looking at like a top five spot. He's, that'd be a really good run for him after losing to Roy Val not too long ago. Um, but that's going to be an awesome fight. The flyweight division is great nowadays. And I love when you get fights like this where you have a guy like Nikolai who nobody really wants to fight. And then a guy like Chanel who does not care who he fights usually has the makings for a great fight. Co-main event. This is a real co-main event. This has been a real topic of discussion lately. Is it a co-main event or is it a penultimate fight? This is a co-main event. Rafael Dos Anjos, RDA, takes on Brian Barberina in what might be RDA's retirement fight. I don't know if he's ever said that, but I don't want I don't want to say that because that might not even remotely be true. But he was he was making that one last run at 55, which came to a close with the um, the Rafael Fiziev fight. RDA got stopped in the fifth, and he takes on Brian Barberina at 170 now. RDA goes up the weight class. Obviously, he had a good run at 70 uh, earlier in his career. Uh, now coming back up to 70, I'm guessing just didn't want to cut the weight. But that's why I'm thinking maybe maybe he's just taking fun fights and he he's not done. Or maybe he's looking for one more win to go out on a win. I don't know. Either way, RDA, on the back end of his career, takes on the red-hot Brian Barberina, the legend killer Brian Barberina. They just will not stop scheduling this dude against the OGs. Three-fight win streak. The last two have been Matt Brown and Robbie Lawler. The Matt Brown fight was nuts. Then he knocked out Robbie Lawler. Now he takes on RDA. This is another one that RDA is an enormous favorite. I think Brian Barberina is like plus 400, or he was last time I looked. I should look now. But either way, Barberina, I mean, RDA was like a 3-1, to one, close to 4-1 to one favorite. And I'm not. maybe I'm losing my mind. Maybe there's something that I'm not seeing or I don't get or I don't know. But that doesn't seem like quite right to me. Like that doesn't that doesn't add up in my brain. Brian Barberina is really tough. Currently on DraftKings, RDA is a minus five forty. Barberina plus four twenty. Five to one favorite for RDA. Am I losing my mind? Is there is did Brian Barberina break his leg or something? Like I actually like if you're listening to this and there's something that like you like this is why tell me. I don't get it. Barberina has looked really good in his last two fights. He mixes it up well. Takedown defense really good. Heavy hands. Good striking. Like, I'm not sure what I'm missing. Big dude. Like, Barberina's not making 55. Also, been in the UFC for a million years. Ah, he did did fight at 55 back in the day. I'm a moron. His first two fights in the UFC were were at 55. I'll change my answer. He's not fighting at 55 anymore. He's a big guy. And I don't know, in what world is RDA a 5-1 to one favorite over that guy? A guy who is 33, like right in his prime, hitting a str- hitting a stride? I don't know, man. Again, if there's something I'm missing, somebody let me know. That this doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Why RDA is a 5-1 to one favorite over Brian Barberina. RDA could win. Totally could win. But this, to me, feels like a pretty competitive fight. And I guess we'll see. Maybe, maybe RDA steamrolls him. But I could see Barberina winning this fight. He's young. He's tough. RDA's on the back end of his career. Who knows? That's honestly that's honestly my big take about that fight. I'm excited to watch the fight. It should be an awesome fight. I love watching RDA. I love watching Brian Barberina. What's not to like about that? I just don't understand why the line is as steep as it is. That doesn't make any sense to me, honestly. Maybe somebody'll put me in my place, but who I, somebody tell me what what like what I'm getting what I'm missing and or tell me that I'm right. That'd be cool too. Thanks. Now the main event. Steven Wonderboy Thompson takes on Kevin Holland. I mean, there's just nothing not to like about this fight. Uh, I mean, Kevin Holland obviously just fought Hamzat, was supposed to fight. Daniel Rodriguez takes the Hamzat fight. The UFC rewards him by giving him the number six welterweight in the world. Pretty good deal, I think, honestly, for Kevin. You know, lost to Hamzat, didn't really take any damage, just got choked out in two minutes. Then gets set up in a great spot against Steven Thompson who is almost 40, started fighting in MMA in uh, 2010, but he only has 25 fights. No, 23 fights. I think that I think that's as many wins as Kevin Holland has. Yeah. Steven Thompson has as many MMA fights as Kevin Holland has wins. Kevin Holland has eight more fights than eight more fights than Steven Thompson. Kevin started his amateur career in 2012, his pro career in 2015. So, uh, 5 years less, eight more fights. It's a very interesting fight because it's the kind of fight where Kevin Holland has a big opportunity. Steven Thompson is on a bit of a skid, but when you look at his skid, you there's definitely some context around it. Well, one, he was on a he was on a roll. After the Till and Pettis losses for um Wonderboy, he beat Luke. 
which was a big win. And then he beat Jeff Neal. And both of those fights were not overly competitive. Wonderboy beat them both pretty bad. And then he faces Gilbert Burns, you know, gets taken down, he loses. And then Bilal Muhammad does a very similar thing to him. That's a, that's a tough a couple matchups for Stephen Thompson. Now he's got Kevin Holland, who's in all likelihood will be com- entirely willing to strike with him, I would expect. And Kevin Holland has ju- jujitsu skills, but I think Kevin Holland's probably coming into this fight wanting to have fun, wanting to enjoy the fight. And I think he'd love to challenge himself against a striker like Stephen Thompson, which tends to not work out well for people. You don't really want to be in a stand-up fight with Stephen Thompson, historically speaking. It's a scary, it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, historically, he doesn't lose many fights where he doesn't get taken down. He lost that fight with Darren Till, where nothing really happened. He got knocked out by Anthony Pettis, which was strange, looking back on it. And he had those two razor-thin fights with Tyron Woodley. Razor-thin. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for this fight. I'm excited for this card. I'm going to be interested to see if Kevin Holland tries to wrestle at all. He does have pretty slick jujitsu that we've seen. Um, we saw in his fight with Tim Means. Granted, that was off of a knockdown. But five rounds, too. Five rounds. It's going to be really... It's a great card. It's a great card. Hopefully, I did it relative justice. Holland has a six-inch reach advantage on Wonderboy. That's kind of surprising. But, man, I mean, if Holland wins this fight, he jumps up near the top five. He probably jumps into, like, that six, seven, eight range. That's going to be interesting because then all of a sudden... You gotta get, he'll have some tougher matchups. That's gonna be fun. Wonder Boy is the nicest guy of all time. Obviously, that's well established. I'd love to see Steven Thompson work as somehow weasel his way into, into another title shot. And weasel's not the right term, but just, you know, sneak his way into another title shot. That'd be awesome. Imagine a title fight between Leon Edwards and Steven Thompson. Obviously, Leon has shown good wrestling skills, so maybe that's how he'd win the fight. But that'd be an awesome striking battle. Come on, that'd be sick. Okay, that's my MMA talk for the day. And I had to, you know, I had to work my way through it a couple of times because I'm, I don't want it to sound as rehearsed. I feel like it's boring. I want to just kind of ramble sometimes. I just want to let it fly. And uh, I've got a couple of interviews coming up this week. I have one tonight, which I'm very excited for. He's fighting on Bellator 289, and um, that should be out later this week, most likely. I'm hoping to get it on YouTube. I need to figure out how to get one of those borders so it's not just a, a you know, like a Zoom video because that looks like shit. So we're gonna see how that goes. But that'll be out later this week. And then another one, also another another guy fighting on Bellator 289. I don't know when that interview will be yet, but hopefully that is out within the next 10 days or so as well. And then last thing I want to talk about, if you if you care at all, I am coaching wrestling, and I figured I could give little updates into how that's going. We're on the um, throughout the season because it'll you know it'd be good for my mental state to probably talk about it sometimes um and i love doing it so yeah i figured i'd talk about it a little bit we're in our third week of the season right now it's actually our first week of competition uh, i coach at milton high school in wisconsin and we have a pretty solid team uh a returning state champ returning state finalist uh and then outside of those two three more returning state medalists we lost a couple state qualifiers, three state qualifiers, I believe. Uh, they graduated last year, but very, very solid team. A pretty young team still, a lot of young kids. And yeah, this is our first week of competition. We have a dual meet on Thursday, which will be exciting. And then there's a big, a, a pretty big tournament coming up this Saturday in, in Independence, Iowa. Or Cliff Keen Independence. I don't know if the town is called Independence or if that's what the tournament is called. Either way, really, it, it, it's a big tournament. It's a two-day tournament, tough tournament. It should be fun. Uh, we're only bringing the, we're only bringing our best guys, so that'll be fun to see how they compete on Thursday and then especially this weekend. I don't have a ton of information yet because you know there's no like result. It's just been practice, but practice has been good. Now, maybe I'll get into more specifics later. Obviously, I don't have a ton of information now, but I won't. You know, just you know, for framing purposes today, like I don't know. I'll obviously talk about it more probably as we go. But yeah. A little mention of it. This is stupid. Whatever. I'll probably cut most of this out. All right. Thank you for listening. I hope that this episode didn't suck too horribly to listen to. I'm hoping when I go back and listen to this, it sounds better than my old ones. Not old ones, but like the other ones I've done because they just seemed a little too rehearsed, in, in all honesty. Um, we've got interviews coming. Subscribe or follow or whatever it is on your respective podcast platform. I look forward to creating more content in throughout the next well obviously several months going forwards but now really kind of kicking it into gear just in terms of more interviews 
more articles, columns, whatever. Um, and I would like to get on YouTube because I want to grow. I want to meet people. I want to do cool interviews. I want to, this is, this is what I want to be doing. And I plan on making that a, making that a reality. So yeah, we're just getting started. Thank you for supporting me. If you, um, are listening now, I appreciate you. Even if you don't do any of this stuff that I ask you to do, you don't have to follow. You don't have to rate whatever. If you're listening to this at all, I very much appreciate it. And, uh, can't wait to keep doing more. Thank you for listening. I love you a lot. Have a great day and a better evening. Peace. I never know how to finish these things. I feel like I need a better outro, but sorry. Bye.